1: So uh, Roxanne Dohrhardt, thanks again for tuning in for Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today I have a special uh, guest, and she has some been someone uh, we initially got uh, in introduced to each other by a common colleague, uh, Deborah Bakti. So Deborah, thanks for coming and hanging out with us again today. Oh, it's my pleasure, Roxanne. So Deborah and I <clears throat> cross paths, and we've uh, been in, involved in uh, projects together over the years. Just kind of knowing what each other's doing. And um, her expertise is, um, you know, I think it's. there's always been a need. I I would say that most of us today, I know with my parents, they're both uh, elderly, um, kind of thinking about, um, you know, the senior care and, and all the things that you kind of have to maneuver and, and kind of manage as your parents gets older. And this is something that deborah has been uh, doing for quite a while. So Deborah, I'm gonna, I'm just reading a little bit about Deborah's background. There's gonna be a full kind of bio. Um, she's the owner of Think Breakthrough, Breakthrough Inc. It's a consulting and training company that's helped senior care organizations build stronger, healthier relationships with their resident families. She's the author of two books, Recipe for Empathy, Six Strategies to Transform Your Families into Fans in Senior Care. And her newest book, which she has already sold 4,000 copies, I should tell you, uh, Managing the Emotional Journey of Long-Term Care for Families. She's been a a seniors uh, care executive uh, for about 11 years. um, And at that point, um, she had firsthand um, kind of experience uh, having had her Husband, and at the time I, I met Deborah, um, I know she was caring for her husband. Her mom and dad all became uh, residents of senior care building. So, not only is it her specialty, but she's had to experience that for, as a, a family member. And she's also a certified corporate coach and positive psychology practitioner. So, thank you again. So, Deborah, I'm going to ask you, and I, I don't know that I know this, what made you want to? become involved in in senior care way back when you got into uh, kind of the corporate setting?
0: Well, it it was like a lot of people happen in their careers. Uh, It it wasn't planned. I was working in the staffing industry at the time and I was approached and headhunted to join this organization and lead their home care division. Uh, There were some correlations in the staffing services model. Mm -hmm. And so that was way back in 2006. And uh, so it was, all, it was all new for me. I didn't even know what home care was. Mm. I'd never had a need for home care, didn't know anybody who had home care. And I knew about long-term care, nursing homes, and that was about the extent of it. So um, you know, very quickly learned and, and was, was in a leadership role. And then it was 2008 when my husband started having these weird symptoms and became ill. And it was an 18 month journey to get a diagnosis of what was a really rare disease that only 400 people in the world had at the time. And so I then we became customers of home care, adult daycare. And with the unfortunate progression of the disease, he needed to be placed into long-term care in 2011. And he lived uh, in a home for four years before he passed away in 2015. And as you mentioned, I also had an experience with both my dad and my mom. My dad lived in long-term care for six months. Um, and then my mom went into retirement living, independent living, and then we needed to transition her to assisted living, and she passed away in 2019. So it was quite the experience three times over of living and breathing as a family member of a resident in senior in the, in the senior care system. Do
1: you... So my my... I'm just curious about this, right? So obviously your husband was younger. I know our parents are all getting older, but when you put someone younger in versus your older family members, what did you experience? Were there differences or were there certain themes that you would say that you experienced the same at putting in them in a facility?
0: Well, I think it's different based on the relationship. And you're right. Uh, He was younger, and about 10 to 12% of residents in a long term care home are under the age of 65. So, as you can imagine, the majority are older and probably more closer in their 80s. Uh, So, it was certainly a surreal experience to be someone as young. I mean, my peer group of women were 30 years older than me, Mm -hmm. and they also typically were retired. Their kids had grown where I was working full time and I had two kids living at home that I was in essence, single parenting. Um, and I think there's probably, there's also similarities for anyone who needs to make the decision more often than not is making the decision for your parents or an aunt or uncle. But for anyone, the family experience of going through making the decision is filled with all sorts of emotional angst. Mm -hmm. right? There's the guilt, there's some grief, there's anxiety, there's fear. And going through the last year with COVID has only made it worse because of all of the negative media that's being written about institutional living. Uh, And then also too, some families feel relief. They have been white knuckling at caregiving at home, as my mom did with my dad until he needed to go into long-term care. And then you feel guilty about feeling relieved, Right? And and the other thing on top of it is most people don't really understand how seniors care works. They don't know what they don't know other than what they've read about. So, you know, I think every person's journey is unique. And I think that's what really compelled me to write this second book. Now, what managing the emotional journey of long term care for families, because it doesn't tend to get a lot of attention as to how the family is feeling a lot of energy and attention is put on the resident as it should this is a big life change for them but I think what's underestimated is the life change that families go through and you as a therapist may see people coming in to speak to you that are grappling with that anticipatory grief or the uncertainty and the change in their in their life relationships and Sometimes they have other people judging them. Like, why couldn't you keep taking care of them at home? How, how dare you put them into an old folks home as it used to be yes. referred to,
1: right? And, right. Um, and it's, it's just, it's not that cut and dried. So tell me about some of the psychological implications of, or the stages that families might go through. Like I have, I, I think of a, a client that I had, um, at the beginning of COVID and um, a bit, oh, she was a bit older. Her and her husband kind of had their predefined lives. You know, she went to, you know, they would do things together. Um, He did stuff with his friends and she, you know, would have some trips and, you know, so it was kind of pretty, really, they had a pretty good life. And then uh, dementia set in, um, at which point um, she was trying to be supportive and probably manage a lot more things than she should have. Uh And what started to happen is the dementia started to get worse. And then, and then she's still trying to manage, and I'm like, okay, well, no, we need to. I said to her, we need to get you connected, because you know what's going to happen is she would leave him at times, thinking he's okay, and then he'd go for a walk and forget things, and yeah. and it was very, it was very overwhelming. But she felt a bit of when they, she started into the system, she ca- kind of got diverted in a way that put her into a uh, one-way street, and then she was at the beginning again until she started to talk to me, and then I started to talk to her to get her connected. Um, you know, through the system to kind of get the geriatric assessment, all those things. So sometimes you're, this lack of knowledge a lot, would you say that a lot of family members live with it because they think, oh, well maybe there's, there's, there's not the options or they don't know the kind of the triage models or the spaces that they need to explore?
0: For sure, that's one of the aspects. It's, we already have a complex healthcare system to navigate and the seniors care spectrum of it, that's through the LIN in Ontario, that's the local health integration network. A lot of people don't know that they even exist and they don't know where to start. And that first visit with the doctor, your family doctor, and they say, you know, you really need to be thinking about this, that immediate denial can can kick in. And I experienced it myself. It's hard for us to see the progression or uh, wishful thinking that it's not going to continue to get worse. Um, in in my book, I talk about basically it's like the seven I, the seven A's is a framework that I that I created based on my experience, uh, and it, it's to help families recognize that within these uh, seven stages, and it may not be linear. It usually starts with just being aware. You have to have that awareness that this is an issue it's a challenge there are resources out there so there's there's the awareness from a knowledge standpoint but also an emotional standpoint and then it's progressing into that area of being able to acknowledge and that's facing the reality and not that magical thinking that we can have that i can continue to take care of them Uh, i can you know this is going to get better right and and then getting into that area of being able to adapt, and this is ideally when someone has finally been able to make the decision, how do you adapt to that new role of being a family member in a long-term care or seniors care community? And how do you adapt to your schedule? And some of the things that you talked about when you're used to having someone with you there as a partner every day, but also as a caregiver, giving up the
1: control of the caregiving. Absolutely. Because, you know, if I'm, you know, at the point where I'm, you know, caring. And I know my sisters and my family, my, with my mom, she's in a seniors building. She's not in a long-term term care building. Um, You know, so we were involved with her a lot and, you know, you kind of, you kind of think, you know, what, what is sometimes right for them, yeah. but sometimes you realize, Oh no. And sometimes, you know, parents can kind of get their way through their children, which sometimes is not the best, uh, for what recommended recommend it for them. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I, I'm going to use the word a bit manipulative at times because they think, oh, I don't want to do this. So I'll just tell my kids this. And my mom's uh-huh. done, done that with us before. And then we're all starting to talk. And then we're like, oh, okay. And then we talk to the nurse manager who's giving us a different story. So I, I think not knowing the system I could see, um, you know, would be something that family members could benefit just having, like you said, the knowledge of what the system... Can and can't help with what you're giving up and what you have to compensate with. Like now that you've let up that care and, you know, leave it up to the the experts that know it. But some, most of us aren't so good with uh, giving up some of that control. Well, and you probably see
0: people who've got that natural gene of caregiving. Sometimes it can be a control issue. Nobody can do it better than I. And sometimes it can be that martyrdom and I speak from experience (laughs) but you know sometimes I felt like I was being I was playing the martyr role with all of the heavy lifting I needed to do with taking care of my husband and to allow other people and also understand they're not going to do things perfectly and they're not going to do things the way that you would and they're living in a community setting and I think that's where it becomes really important in how the families and the care teams are able to have an expectations discussion and dispel some of the misconceptions that they have. A lot of families think that their loved one's going to get one-on-one, 24-7 care, mm-hmm. and it's, that's just not how it works. Right. And so, you know, there's some, there's some learning with that. And that's where I think it's when a family is not feeling emotionally um, capable of that change in their life and their lifestyle, it can really create a lot of friction for the people who work in seniors' care and it also affects the resident. I mean, I think when when they look at when a person becomes a resident in a seniors' care home, it's the resident who adapts to their new routine first, typically. And then the staff, they adjust. It's a new resident, lots of new learning for them, but it can take the family two, three months, even longer to get to that place of being able to adopt and accept, right, and to be able to actually appreciate their new role and fit into it as well.
1: Yeah. So you talked a little bit about um, admission anxiety, and I think we're stepping into this. I'm, I just, just tell us what that is, and um, like a, an example of maybe a scenario that that is kind of atypical, and I know every family is gonna be different, So what is admission anxiety? Um,
0: I I would say most families. I've not met a family, and I've met a lot of them that haven't felt that anxiety. They're coming into a building, that they know that they're going to be leaving that building without their loved one. And they just don't know what to expect. It's overwhelming, the sounds, the activity, different people. And admission day can be very busy. And I know for me and for a lot of other families, it can feel transactional. The home is already busy and they're squeezing this admission in and there's lots of paperwork and all of that to cover. So it's as they're going through that and then as they're leaving and walking to their car, driving home, that's when the tears start. That's when the have I done the right thing and the guilt can set in. On the other side of the equation is the staff who can feel admission anxiety. And I was able to get a better understanding in when I was doing consulting on site that the morning of a new resident and family coming in, the staff are trying to learn everything they can based on a file that's been sent to them. And as you can appreciate, Roxanne, the the file only says so much. And some of the information is not correct or it's out of date. And there also tends to be this worry about, I wonder what the family's going to be like. Are they going to be nice? Are they going to be pleasant? How are they emotionally feeling about this? Okay. And every home has had the challenge of having Passionate. Let's call them passionate families. In my book, I talk about family flavors, and I, I, I there's there's jalapeno families, right? Or there's families. That'd, that pro- ha- that'd probably be my family, Deborah. <laughs> the
1: Trinidadians
0: get a little bit hot and spicy, right? And they can have jalapeno moments. And so sometimes the staff are almost bracing themselves, and they're thinking, "Oh, you know, that's going to be a difficult family." And so this labeling starts to happen, and. I really don't believe that families come in to be difficult. They're scared. They're afraid. They don't know what they don't know, and then they get handled in this admission process, and then they leave. and And sometimes they feel like they haven't really been seen or understood, right? Because the the staff are, and rightly so, focusing on getting the residents settled is a big change for them. So I find it to share with families that. the the care team are also feeling this admission anxiety. It's actually a way to be able to connect with a shared experience just for different reasons. And how can we be focusing on alleviating that anxiety with each other by focusing on that, making a connection as human beings on a probably one of the hardest days of that family's life And it's a day that they will remember, they may not remember the details, it can be a bit of a blur, but they will remember how they felt. And for the staff, it's, it's, it's another day of a busy day. And so I try to help them understand why it's so important to be present and intentional and compassionate and curious with that family. Uh, to, To bringing bringing them, it's, it's no different than onboarding an employee in your organization, you want to be be mindful
1: and um, and compassionate in that. And it's your family member, right? That you, you know, it's that connection, that love. So you're trying to let go and you know that they have the skills, but I wonder, is there a bridge that happens? Is there like a pre-admission kind of um, group or any kind of connection with the staff, with the family members? Or is it that on admission day that that's when... Um, things happen. It can vary. Like sometimes you, you
0: if you're, if you ha- are on the wait list, and I mean there's about thirty, over thirty thousand people that are on the wait list in Ontario right now to get into long term care. Uh, you'll get a phone call saying that a bed is available, and that you've got a very short period of time to decide whether you want to accept it. And every situation is different. Sometimes you may get the phone call from the Lynn. So there's an initial phone conversation with a very short window that you have to make the decision. Uh, and it, it can feel it can feel rushed. And, and I think that's where it, it, it... There's so much opportunity to be... What I say is to be more relational versus transactional at that point in time, particularly when the family is feeling so vulnerable and are looking for someone to take the lead and be their guide, even if they don't realize that that's what they need and want.
1: That, that makes so much sense. So, you know, obviously, like you said, the, the anxiety is at a different level for different people. Um, and of course, when we're fearful, what we do, we try to protect, right? So, um, you know, so what 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 mode does the family go into? Kind of I would say like it's almost like an imprint of a signature with a family, right? How do you really kind of um react under pressure? Some families are like they all line up and they get things done. Other, you know, some people are emotive, some people are disconnecting. You know, as a family therapist, you know, obviously I've seen every iteration of that. Um, but of course, this is a significant life um shift right it's a huge change knowing that it's not going to come back the same way so it's adjustments to kind of like you know it's, it's um, not unlike what you said organizationally if it's change management how are you getting as much uh, prepped as possible and we know the reality oftentimes isn't <laughs> doesn't fit right like to what the you know what's happening in, uh, on the boots on the ground is different from what you perceive it and bridging that gap just to help uh, like you said not just just the residents but the family members and you have all your staffing as well and they have lives as well so you have a lot of things going on in that system all at once
0: I used to joke about how when I would go to visit Thai, it was like visiting this village and all of these people that were coming and going you had you like you say you've had the staff they've got their own dynamics happening some staff like each other some don't and the more you're there with a family, the more you, you kind of get the inside scoop. Then you've got management and you've got all the different departments, the laundry, housekeeping, maintenance, and then you've got other family members. And so it, it's this little town that operates and you've got the different residents and their personalities and some residents love each other and some don't, right? And, uh, and, and when you talk about families and being a family therapist, uh, you would get those family dynamics and dysfunction. Yes. And you can have sure. a family that's admitting a loved one and two of the sisters, one has been the the driver, she's the power of attorney, and the other sister's in denial. And so then you've got their, their own dysfunction, but how that comes into the home and how they're relating to the staff and that family um, infighting
1: that can happen, that they bring in, right? And the drama that happens. <laughs> Of the family drama that's happening and that and the, the like you said what's the flavor of the family <laughs> people are going coming in with fear and you're thinking okay all my nursing skills are going to come into play now I'm going to be compassionate and kind but I'm going to hold that boundary that says you have to be respectful obviously so it's there's a lot of things I would think at that play um, when I worked with addictions on in different environment but similar in a lot of ways it's you know, the families that would come in and we would have to educate them about, you know, kind of boundaries and, you know, what can and cannot be done and all those things. And you're right, we would get every iteration of every possibility of who was coping how and everything that could bear out. We would do family groups. That's why I was asking. But of course, ours was, you know, it was a known admission date. But with your point, sometimes if there's 30,000 people waiting for a bed, I would think that you get a call and you're making a, a decision within, you know, maybe less than a week and you're, everything has to go. So it's you 20, yeah. it's 24 hours. Yes, it could, be any, it could be any time. Right, yeah. and, and I, I love how you said, like it, it really
0: is about how someone is coping.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so when we're quick to say they're being difficult, is it that they're being difficult or are they struggling and they're having a hard time coping? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is uh, that making eye contact and just saying like when, when I do my training and I talk about how challenging that admission day was when I left Ty there. And if somebody at the home had called me that night just Mm -hmm. to check in and say, Ty's doing great, but we want to know that must've been a really hard day for you. We could see that you were struggling with it. How are you feeling? Yeah. Uh, that making an emotional connection I would have felt seen and heard and and now I've got clients who are implementing that as that reach out and the difference that they're seeing is remarkable because we're being human and relational.
1: Absolutely and and, you know with all the work that I do whether it's as a psychotherapist or when I was in trauma or addictions or um, just even consulting with teams that's the main thing right it's about regardless of what you're going through is, can I experience you, you know, like the thing, the thought that I can, I just can stop things and say, how's it really going for you? Really drops that veil. Right. Cause we all get into that stress signature and that, that dance that we do. And then when somebody notices that, you know um, you may be a high functioner, but you can tell that you're, you're just doing your thing. And somebody says, how are you really doing? That shows you that human to human. Wow. That, that, it's difficult. I'm not really sure what you're experiencing, but, uh, I, I'm going to think that it's probably a little bit of a tough time for you. And I yeah. think, you know, in whatever role you're in to be able to have that skill and to be aware within yourself, what you're experiencing, um, in that capacity that's, that's just opens up, you know, um, such huge doors for people to connect. Totally. Agree. So let's, um, Let's talk a little bit about um, if there's families listening or even, uh, you know, leadership, right, that are listening. We've gone through, you know, this time period to find the adjectives to to describe what um, most people have gone through. Now we're thinking about admission in, but we know how many people have lost um, family members in long-term care homes. For people that are families that are listening that unfortunately are at the point where they have to make this decision right now, or even for senior leaders listening. What what kind of things should people be thinking about in this time about an admission? You're referring with it being post COVID and if somebody has
0: a need now to be on the right. way. And- I don't
1: just generally, like, I mean, before I'm sure there was anxieties, but now in this time, I'm gonna assume there's some heightened things that people might be experiencing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think if, if someone is thinking about, uh, is this the right time? I mean, I would recommend that you are talking to your family physician or any specialists that are involved in, and let's just use the example of it's a parent of your parents care. And, and I think it's also to try to take an an objective viewpoint as to what's actually occurring that would prompt the need for additional level of care, whether that's moving into retirement or assisted living or memory care or long-term care. Um, Because they're typically, when I talk to families, they can look back and in hindsight, they saw the warning signs, but either they were, and I'll speak for myself. My mom was starting to have some memory issues not necessarily taking her medication properly. Uh, and parents can be sneaky when they're trying to cover right their, 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 um, their deficits. Yes. We're busy in our work and life and kids and everything else. But so I can look back and recognize that I wasn't being as present and paying attention or asking better questions without making her feel wrong or bad or anything like that. So it's how do you listen to those objective voices or to be able to see for yourself Mm -hmm. and then it's doing the due diligence and research of the homes that are in your area I think right now they're still doing virtual visits but if you're able to speak to the social worker or administrator or director of care in the home because it's important that you are able to learn what you can Uh, in Ontario reaching out to your local health um, your your Lynn uh, to to be able to speak to a case manager to see. There's criteria that's involved, right? So I think there's that knowledge piece and then being able to understand from an emotional standpoint, how do you feel about this potential necessary next step in your parents' aging journey? And how will you be able to lean into that versus feeling the resistance? If you're feeling some of the guilt or maybe some of the grief because of things that are changing in your family relationship, I highly recommend reaching out to a therapist. Like there are people that you can talk to. If I didn't have the supportive therapy while my husband was going through it, she was in, She enabled me to think differently about the reality of our situation and what doing my best really was.
1: And it wasn't right. doing
0: everything perfectly all the time, always, right? Right.
1: <laughs> right. And I would think that then in, in this time, and, and I wanna talk a little bit about the pandemic and all the losses, right? I would say that probably, and I'm assuming that or you're the one that's the expert here, that some families may be just scared Even if they know that maybe it's time to make that decision because of all the losses that we've had in the long-term care facilities, um, what what advice do you have for them? You know, like they may be holding back a lot because you know, um, you know, all you hear, unfortunately, are all the horror stories. We don't hear all the kind things that are being done in in these long-term care facilities. What would you say to them if they're ready? That petrified that they're not taking the step, even if it may be a necessary step at this point.
0: I do think it goes back to having a connection with those local communities and asking those questions. I think that what we've seen over the last year, and I've not been in a home, so I'm not on the front line directly, but from what I'm also hearing and reading, is that they, you know, the the, the progress that they've made with vaccinations and that how that's being prioritized. There was so much that just wasn't happening initially and now we're a year into it and whether it be the infection control and the protocol and the ppe that they have and new processes and procedures and whatnot uh you know all of those things would be important to research if if my parents were alive today and i was facing that that's exactly what i would be doing and having those conversations or if there's someone that i know that has a loved one that's living in a seniors care environment I mean, there are some residents who have probably done better living in a community setting because I can think of my, uh, my sister-in-law who has her dad living in retirement. And she is convinced that he, he has thrived in that community setting, even with some of the restrictions that they've had, because before he was living completely on his own. I didn't have the right <laughs> dietary support and physical activities and mental stimulation. So it really, ha- I think, it comes down to assessing your personal situation. Where do you see the need and the gaps that are currently in existence? And I think families also have to look at what impact it's having on their physical and emotional health in that caregiving role because it is not sustainable, in my opinion, in the long run with a white knuckling strategy. And of course, it depends on the level of care and the intensity of care that you have. And maybe you can continue to get home care to support or uh, when adult daycare programs are up and running again. Um, it's, It's not an easy
1: decision at the best of times. So for employers listening, right? Because a lot of people are, you know, the sandwich generation, I think a lot of us entered it as soon as we probably hit like our mid-40s, right? We were carrying in some capacity. Um, and we know your our, our population is aging. Like you said, there's 30,000 people waiting for care. So, and we're going through the fear, of the fear of the pandemic. Everybody's in a mass, you know, people are trying to catch their breath and people have had losses and not being able to see family members and all those things. So from a from a leadership perspective, what kind of things should HR and leaders be considering with people that are maybe having family members in long-term care? To just kind of I'm thinking about, you know, we're gonna probably at some point start to reintegrate and reopen. What kind of things should environments be thinking about um, putting in place or addressing for people um, that might be, you know, like you said, caring for one or two or even three family members, or maybe they've lost people, you know, through this time and they're, they're going back to work.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and some organizations I've talked to, they've really tapped into their EAP or the EFAP program, the employee assistance program. And I think that they have really geared themselves to look at what resources can we provide uh, contact I know some of them will even provide a list of homes in the area, and I think there's also focus on on grief and PTSD support. Yes, but as you talked about whether it whether it was some financial loss, health loss, all of those impacts uh, that they're recognizing that employee health and well being is is no longer a nice to have; it's a must have mm-hmm. in order to be able to provide that support and um, that, that sounds to me like it's probably one of the easiest ways if an organization does have an EAP program uh, and if they don't then ideally whomever in their HR department that typically would be providing those types under the umbrella of employee benefits mm-hmm. is where can they be connecting with the local resources to be able to direct employees in that direction.
1: Absolutely and I know um, that was one of my corporate consulting roles as I was an executive with EAPs and I, you know, I started in EAPs back in 1994 <laughs> and uh-huh. uh, back then it was a nice to have, right? It was kind of like a, the companies that, you know, it was kind of the rage and they started to recognize they needed to do it but a lot of companies at that time or even, you know, into the 2000s, early 2000s they would buy the EAP and it was kind of be, oh, we have that badge that says we have it and I think you're right now well I I don't think we have we can't negotiate that now is because um, you need to keep people connected secure psychologically safe um, reintegrating back into work all those things right and we're going back and where people are wanting to go back to employers that they feel safe and secure with that are are, you know living their brand and all those things we want to we want to deal with people that are really true to their integrity of what, what business they're running. So I think it's, it's it, you're right, it's not a nice to have anymore, it's a must have. Um, if you wanna keep people you know, at work and productive and present, all those things. And the EAP I think is um, definitely, I'm sure, you know, there's been an escalation obviously in usage. I'm, I'm gonna be interested to kind of see, I'm sure that that's increased and need, need so, right? They need to use it so that they can stay healthy and productive at
0: work. Well, and I can't imagine someone that's got their kids and there was an article I saw last week about parents suffering burnout from trying to support their kids at home and online learning and imagine that. And then you've got whether they're living with you or close by, you've got aging parents and trying to deal with that. It's a a tremendous amount of pressure and burden while maintaining your
1: own job and trying to keep things working in that area. I know for sure. So the book, tell us a bit about it. Um, where you know, I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna assume that people will probably want to reach out. Um, you know, to consult with you, or if organizations are listening that have that need, or people that would want you to, um, uh, you know, speak on the book. Where could they reach you, and where can they get the book?
0: Yeah, best is to go to my website, which is deborabakty.com, and I have a page for where people can purchase uh, either book. Uh, the Recipe for Empathy or Now What? Managing the Emotional Journey of Long-Term Care. And um, yeah, I'm working directly with homes that uh, are purchasing the book to be able to give to new families. But if families want to be able to buy it directly from me, they just come to my website.
1: and uh, Or you know what, Roxanne, maybe we, we give a few copies away to your listeners. Okay, well, um, you tell me and uh, then what we'll do is uh, if, if you're going to do that when people uh, let me know. Um, they can sign up through the podcast and then they can let me know and they're not well coordinated with you. That's so generous. That's amazing. I'm sure there's a couple of people out there that would benefit immediately. We'll set something up for when you, when the podcast launches of how people can get it. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time, Deborah. So what have I learned? I've learned that um, and I think the part that I think organizationally makes sense is that um, there's concurrent experiences happening with the family and with the with the with the um, nursing care, but also with the family and also with the patients. So we need to recognize or kind of think where is individually each part of the system at at that point. And think about yourself if you're in if you're in that space and you're having an aging parent or um, having to make that decision. Tap into what you're. Where are you at? What is your family's members? What is the kind of the Dissension or lack of dissension in the, the family, like Deborah said, investigate what's out there. You know, call your local uh, health health integrated network or LIN, and begin that process. And just start to kind of educate yourself and think, um, what would what is it that we're looking for? What are what is the true need? And what stage of grief am I um, individually and collectively? What stage of grief we would are my family members in and then start from that space. That being said, it's not an easy, it's not an easy thing to go through for anyone. Um, But again, what's important is offering the best care possible for your your loved ones. Um, Even though it may not be you, it's going to be the right people. So thank you for tuning in. Uh, Deborah, thanks a lot again, and we'll talk to everyone soon.